Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, man, that, that last song is really heavy, you know. Uh, it's true. You know, the word of God says that uh, his people, his church are a peculiar people. <laughs> and you look around this room. I think you're, you'll, you'll agree we are a group of peculiar people. The Lord says that we are his prize. We are his prize. I think sometimes we have to stop and, 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 and view ourselves how the Lord sees us so we can get encouraged. Amen. Not, not overly proud, but in a humble way, acknowledging the fact that, yeah, I am the Lord's prize. Wow, that he saw it so fit that he literally went and snatched you from the devil and brought him back to himself. Amen? It's a beautiful thing. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by that. Uh, it's, been a, it's been an interesting week, right? We were just talking briefly uh, this morning. And, you know, a lot of times the Lord needs to, he, he needs us to grow our faith, to get stronger in him. To trust in him more. And many times that's why circumstances will come about, right? When you're humbly obedient to the Lord and, and, and you follow him. Uh, I just wanted to give you guys just a quick update. I know we, we, we finished that corporate fast last Monday. And, you know, I don't have some crazy mystical revelation to give you. All I can tell you is this. The Lord is crystal clear to me. It's not about programs. It's not about trying to grow this church in the sense of making it super big. And, and, and he said, he basically showed me through the word. It's like, repent, reconnect, keep it simple, keep it basic, keep your eyes on me, keep your focus, keep your gaze on me. May he be the desire of our hearts. Number one, the number one desire. Because when God is not the number one desire in our heart and just wanting to please him, not, oh, Keefe, I want you to be a pastor. No, I just want to serve you. I just want to love you. I want to please you, Lord. May I be your servant in the shadows. I don't need to be seen. Then that's when that fire, that supernatural fire gets lit in your heart that you can't explain and you're changed. Okay? The main thing is that you're growing spiritually that you're growing deep roots you want to be like that tree planted by the water that, that that tree's roots are going to that water and it's getting fed in and out of season and you can't be shaken you can and you can't be moved by the schemes of the devil you can't be moved by the circumstances of this life you're growing and maturing and you're being poured out to others and that's what the lord has shown me now all the little details well, we're a church and we work as the body of Christ. So all those little things, we'll have to just figure them out as we go. But that's the vision that the Lord has given me. And I had a great time. I've been on vacation for the last couple of weeks. I go back to work this Wednesday coming up. But I was able to meet with Pastor Tim. And I usually meet with him when I have breaks in time. So nowadays, it's typically I meet with him once a year, maybe twice a year. And we had a great conversation. I gleaned so much from... Uh, just uh, how the, the how the Lord speaks to him and, you know, particular to to my circumstance and my situation. And I got super encouraged uh, again about the whole fact that it's about 
leading people, being led in truth by the Lord and leading people and loving people. It's not about all this other stuff. And, and you are a great group of people. And I'm very humbled and privileged to uh, pastor you and for you to call me your pastor. And, um, you know, I also got encouraged by him. There was a si certain situation where it just spoke directly. The Lord spoke directly to me through Pastor Tim about, a, you know, a situation going on with an individual that, that I'm um, you know, uh, discipling, and I was able to reach out to that brother and speak truth into his life. And, uh, you know, Lord willing, he's going to continue on. And again, we have to remember there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The righteous may fall seven times and get back up, but one calamity is enough to overthrow the wicked. I, be I do believe that's Proverbs 26, 14. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> you can look it up. But the whole point is, you know, we're going to have circumstances, issues in life, but if we're trusting in the Lord, we're going to get back up and we're going to keep pursuing him. Amen. Sure. One more quick thing. I just got to share it. I wasn't going to share it, but you know what? I think it's I think it's a, a, an encouragement. I know it's an encouragement. Some uh, some of the ladies or the ladies probably know because Veronica had messaged you about it. But, you know, we had a circumstance where, you know, Kalos had been on a, during the virtual learning for a couple years. And it's like, all right, man, you need to get back in school. And so, uh, so excited. Weller started last week and or this week, I'm sorry, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And so the first day we get there, uh, you know, they're like, oh, you're in the overflow class. OK, whatever. First, second grade or like just teach my kid, man. Don't I don't want him to fall behind. Don't teach him first grade stuff. Get him a real teacher. Uh, you know, day two goes by still in the overflow class. OK, uh, and then late. That night, I think it was, I don't know, Thursday night or something like that, they, they told the principal message to Veronica and said, oh, I'm sorry to inform you that your son's not going to be attending Weller. There's just not enough. And, and we know it's not the principal's fault. It's not even the district's fault. It's just the fact the way things are set up, you know, not to get into too many details. They just didn't have enough kids uh, to warrant them hiring another teacher. So they were going to start dispersing kids other places. And, you know, my heart broke for Kalos because... You know, there's a couple people that he's really good friends with. He said, oh, this this guy's my best friend. And, you know, he had you know known him through the virtual program. He finally got to meet him in person and they're having such a good time. And then we had to break the news to him. Uh, Tomorrow's your last day at Weller. You're you going to have to go to a new school. And then Veronica's, you know, uh, you know, she's concerned because it kind of rearranges all our little living situations and the things that we kind of have put forth. And so, you know. I go to the Lord. I'm just like, okay, Lord, uh, what what do you what am I supposed to make of this? Because I don't understand this. And the super cool thing was, as as I prayed and and just was seeking the Lord, you know, honest, like, Lord, I I, I don't I, I hurt for my son. That that sucks, you know. And then I'm like, you know, a little bit of uh, anger starts to creep in, and you start criticizing the public school system and this and that. But then it's like, you know, Jesus, like, <laughs> don't revile back. Look what they did to me. I I didn't I didn't. I didn't do anything to these people and they treated me harshly, but, you know, stay humble. And the Lord uh, basically led me to um, what is the verse? I'm going to paraphrase it. Uh, basically, lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, you know, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll he'll make straight your path. And so, you know, it's like, OK, Lord. I don't understand this, but I do trust that you're the God that's a sovereign and you're in control and you're going to work this all out. So as uh, I prayed. Uh, you know, that night for Kalos and in the morning we talked to him and I told Veronica, I said, look, this is how we need to approach this with Kalos because I don't want him to be downcast. I don't want him to become like Cain. Right. Cain was downcast because his offer he didn't offer rightly, but he was downcast and it, and, and, and it showed. And I didn't want my son to 
to walk out of that house and then have a, 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 a negative, you know, idea of what school is like based on this. Because, it's, you know, all these kids, it wasn't just him. I was praying for all these kids because they've all been put through the ringer when it comes to, you know, whatever. Uh, there was their choice or their parents' choice to put them in the virtual program, but coming back, trying to reconnect and the fact that they don't have things in place for them. And so I said, look, we need to approach this like this. We need to, I need to tell Kalos biblically. And so, you know, explain that verse to him, explain to him about Joseph. He knows that story. He's seen the movie so many times. He's, you know, he's read the things in the children's ministry. So it's like he understands, you know, and the cool thing was, yeah, he was upset. He was mad, but it, it didn't, it didn't shake him. It didn't break him, and that's what I wanted. I didn't want him to be broken by this. But anyways, fast forward, we get there. Teacher says what she says, and then uh, I don't know if whoever's familiar with Milpitas, uh, Pomeroy, I guess, is the next school over. It's like three blocks over, so he was going to go there. They said, oh, we're going to put him in that school. And so, okay, best-case scenario, we're like, okay, cool, whatever. We go home, and, and uh, it is what it is. And then while we're home, 1030 or something, the principal calls. She calls Veronica and says, I just want to inform you, guess what? Uh, things worked out. I don't know how it worked out, but basically there's an opening for Kalos to stay at Weller. So we're like, okay, wow, really? So Lord, now you're giving us an option to either go to Pomeroy or stay at Weller. And you know, I felt uh, instantly gratification or I, I'm super grateful to the Lord, but also my heart broke for these other parents, you know, because some kids had siblings that were in the school and now the other, this other sibling has to go to another school and they're going through all this and that. And I said, you know, Veronica, I don't know why, but I said, I'm going to trust that because we honor the Lord and because we serve him with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our strength, the Lord had favor on us. And look, it went from he's getting kicked out of this school to go to another school to, OK, you go to the next school closest to you to now you have the option to stay at this school or go to this other school. Well, other families, they're just getting kicked out. And I said, I don't know other people's situations, but I said, if they're not serving the Lord, if they're not honoring Jesus Christ, that may be the reason why. So I share that testimony just to encourage you. If you don't know why things are going on in your life right now and you don't understand the circumstances, <laughs> you got to trust in the Lord, you know, and lean not on your own understanding. You acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make straight your path. Amen. All right. With that, uh, we're going to start Revelation chapter 18 this morning. I'm super excited. This is a great chapter. It's just getting more intense. Uh, it's getting more real for believers. You're going to see how this translates to your life currently today, this moment. So with that, uh, if you could please turn to Revelation chapter 18. We're going to go down through verses 1 through 8. And please stand when you can. Uh, for the reading of God's word. And uh, this message is entitled, The Fall of Babylon, Part 1. The Fall of Babylon, Part 1. And starting in verse 1, and it says, After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a hot for every unclean spirit, a hot for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. 
Verse 4, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. Verse 7, as she glorified herself in, and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is something that we need to take seriously, Lord. The fact that this culture, this world system will crumble, will fall. Lord, it will fall under your judgment. Lord, as your people, may we be moved with the fear of God to come out of her, to not be attached to this world. Lord, we are passerbyers. This world is just but a vapor, and soon enough it will all dissolve. Father, may we have our priorities straight. May we be kingdom-minded. May we remain focused on you. May we be fixated on you. May our gaze, may our, may our pleasing desire be to honor you in all that we do. And Father, may we be used in a mighty way for your glory and for your honor. Please speak to us now through your word. May you have all power and all glory rest upon you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, so as you hear, <laughs> as you read along, I mean, this stuff is heavy. You know, this is, this is not no Mickey Mouse situation going on here. And, you know, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm okay with, with it being raw and being real. You know, I, I'm all for having a good time and I'm all for, you know, smiles. But, you know, see, as for the real Christian, you can smile through this. You can smile through this. Actually, as a real Christian, I believe truly that this will motivate you to even be more active in your faith. For you know that the time is short. For you know that your desire is to see people saved. You don't want to see people go down this road of destruction that this world system is headed on. And so that's why I'm just excited. I'm excited for what the Lord has shown me this week, and I'm excited to share it with you today, church. So last week, uh, Daniel did a great job. He wrapped up chapter 17 of the book of Revelation. Quick recap just to bring us up to speed. We learned that the beast and the great prostitute who was riding um, on the beast was no other than the ten leaders or kings who will make up the revived Roman Empire. Um, and, and these things are, if you, all you have to do is just look into uh, world news and politics. Uh, these things are already converging. They're already, you know, merging into place. Um, it, it's, it's a trip. Um, I, I get this, I get this uh, newsletter from uh, 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 Christians for Israel. And, and I mean, 
I mean, these, there's, 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 there's believers that are on, on, they're, they're on the grounds out there in Israel. And, I mean, it's popping off. I mean, it's always popping off, right? Because it's holy land. But, but you know, there, there's more and more people are sensing these things come into place. And you're seeing prophetic things riding out. So uh, it's just so real. Um, we learned that the prostitute that John saw was uh, prophesied to be destroyed by the beast and the ten leaders. Uh, the woman symbolizes apostate religion. Right. And we see this all over. I mean, just people that are totally going against the word of God. Sadly, even those that call themselves believers in Christ and they're teaching heresy. They're teaching things that are so not right. And it's not it's so contrary to the word of God. But we see this. It's all around. It's all around. There truly is a remnant church. Right. There's a remnant of real believers. And then there's just a lot of false, fake stuff going on. But we see that this woman symbolizes the apostate religion and the beast and the kings. They make up this united world government. Uh, this, this is going to lead to the blending of a one world universal religion. Right. That's that's where we're, we're in, in Scripture. That's where they're talking. That's what we're talking about now. We're not there yet, but we're seeing all these things converging into place to make that happen. Um, and it will rapidly go from being loved to reviled by the world. And eventually uh, it'll be destroyed as a result. In the end times, and Daniel talked about this last week, Satan will not be content with any other form of religion other than which worships him. You see, all of these people are going to be falsely led into all this one world uh, unifying uh, government, religion, and, and, and economics. But ultimately, it's all for Satan. And once he gets to the point where everyone's converged, if they're not worshiping him, it's going to just be, you're done. Ultimately, we know that Satan will always enslave his followers. And he leaves them bound to sin. When we were not believers in Jesus Christ, we were bound to sin. Whatever that sin was, whatever those sins were, those things that led us astray from the Lord, we were bound and Satan kept us bound. But Jesus Christ always liberates. He liberates his followers, allowing them to serve him freely. Amen. And you sit here and I stand here this morning and we are able to serve Jesus Christ freely, liberated to serve him. It's a free right that we have. We didn't have to come here this morning, but you came. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wooed you here. Because you have a desire in your heart for the things of God. You see, the man who doesn't know God, who doesn't love God, he hates God. He hates the precepts of God. He hates the law of God. He hates the rule of God. But the one who loves the Lord, he loves the things. She loves the things of God. And you are drawn. You are compelled no one has to force you to read your Bible. You crack open that word of God because this is your sword. This is your map. This is the map to life, right? This is the map to keep you on track, to get you where you need to go. No other book is going to do that for you. But this book will get you everywhere you need to go every step of the way. Amen? The religious system of Babylon will lose her wealth and status and be torn apart by those who once supported her. That's what we talked about. Excuse me. That's what Daniel talked about last week in chapter 17. And all of this is what leads us to our text this morning. We have several main points. And the first one is this Babylon, the one world religious and governmental system will fall. It will fall and it will become a dwelling place for demons 
Now, this is a sharp contrast from one of the songs <laughs> that we just sang. And we praise the Lord. And one of the lines said, The earth is filled with His glory. The earth is filled with His glory. But what has humankind done to what He's given to us? Well, eventually it will become a dwelling place for demons. That is a sharp contrast from this earth being filled with His glory. You see, the world as we know it every day is becoming more and more depraved. As we learned last week, truly there is nothing new under the sun. But we're on God's horizontal timeline or timetable, if you will, for history. And it reveals, that timeline reveals, that this earth will become darker and darker before the Lord Jesus Christ returns. All you have to do is look up and you just see it. I mean, if if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, it's not rocket science. You're like, man, that's depraved. That is perverted. That is not straight. That is crooked. And it's all around. You see, as I've been led to be in the book of Deuteronomy for quite some time, um, the Lord has been revealing a lot to me. And it's specifically about this whole thing about Babylon falling and this world becoming depraved more and more day after day. In regards to this world becoming a place where demons are going to dwell Or they feel comfortable being here, right? Because they're looking for a host. They're looking for a person to inhabit or torment if you're a believer. This dwelling place, especially in the time leading up to Jesus Christ's return, this is very true. This is so true. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, if you've ever read that chapter, um, it talks about if someone's slain, if someone is murdered. And they're murdered and they can't find the person who murdered them. And it's for sure ruled out that it wasn't a natural cause that this person died, right? If a person's murdered and the murderer never comes to light, the blood of the person who was victimized, that, that, that blood defiles and pollutes the land. That, that, that blood shed, it pollutes the land. This is an important principle that was based on Numbers chapter 35, verses 33 and 34. I'll read it for the sake of context. And it says, you shall not pollute the land in which you live, for the blood pollutes the land. And no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. You shall not defile the land in which you live in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. This passage shows that the blood, again, of this unsolved murder, it defiles and pollutes the land. Therefore, the the Levites, the priests, would have to get a heifer that had never been yoked, and they would have to sacrifice it in order for the land to be purified. And it just made me think, (laughs) you know... Uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't watch it anymore, but uh, was it First 48 on A&E? Think of, all the, uh, think of all the cold cases in America. Think about all the cold cases, all the murders in this country from the East Coast to the West Coast that never have gotten solved. You got murders from 30, 40 years ago. And the majority of them never get the person come to justice who committed the crime. And it just made me think, if this principle applies to us today, boy, is this this land polluted. Is this land polluted because of the filth, because of the debauchery, because of the the flat-out pride that someone thinks that they could take someone else's life? 
It's very different from capital punishment. Now, capital punishment is a good thing. It actually deters people from committing crimes, but we turned from that a long time ago. So we're up the creek when it comes to that. If we would have kept on that right route, maybe we wouldn't have so much violent crime in our country. But we just let murderers go free. We just give them a slap on the wrist. Or we just say, well, we're just going to take away your guns. <laughs> That's not solving the problem. And I don't mean to get political. I'm just keeping it real. We, we need to go back to God. This country needs to go back to God. And that's the only way that things are going to ever be reformed the way they need to be. But, hey, in the Lord's plan, he's going to come. <laughs> and I'd rather have Jesus come than be in America for another hundred years. It is what it is. Another sign of this world becoming more and more a place occupied by demons is also found in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5 says, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. In the Old Testament, men and women were clothed similarly. Okay, They had long robes wrapped with garments. They were common for both sexes. But specific types of garments and the way in which they were worn made a clear distinction between the sexes. And this command instructs God's people to respect those distinctions. Now, not without getting too much into it, this doesn't mean that women can't wear pants. I know that there's some Christian den denominations that are like, you got to wear skirts. It's not about that. That's some man-made rule. That is not what this scripture in this context is talking about. It's not talking about that at all. It's talking about don't wear something which deliberately blurs the line between the sexes. You see, in our culture right now, with so much invested in transvest, uh, I can't even say it, but you know what I'm talking about. People that want to be whatever sex they want to be, androgynous behavior or gender bending, if you will. Because we're, we're, we're so into this right now, we're so engaged in, in allowing this to just flourish in our culture, in this land. There's going to be more confusion culturally than ever before. These are just two examples of how this world is walking closer and closer into the time of Babylon becoming utterly destroyed. Just two examples. And we could spend all day talking about that, but we want to focus on Jesus. <laughs> all right. The second main point is this. The Lord God Almighty, in all his mercy and love, once again calls for his people to separate from Babylon before it is too late. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to not be yoked with unbelievers. We're not to be, called, we're not to be unevenly yoked with unbelievers. We're not to walk step in step having unbelievers have influence on us. That doesn't mean huddle in a Christian bubble and never talk to nobody who doesn't know Christ. It means don't let the world influence your behavior, your thought patterns, your actions. You should be influencing them, not them influencing you. We know the, the picture of a yoke and what it looks like, right? When you have two animals, when one's not walking in step, man, it's a hot mess and they can't do what they got to do. But when you're have the yoke of Christ upon you and you're walking in step with him. You're in harmony with the Holy Spirit and you're able to move. That's why fellowshipping is so important. That's why you can't be a, a, a carnal Christian and just, you know, don't, don't even come to church on Sundays and have no fellowship with believers outside of the week or outside of a Sunday. We have to be linked up with one another. We should come to love one another. It shouldn't be like, man, I, I can't stand this person. It's like, nah, man, I love this person. And I kick it with people I would have never kicked it with when I didn't walk with Jesus. 
Because it's not about the outward appearance of man or woman. It's not about the age. It's not about the culture. It's not about the race. It's about the heart. It's about the true character of the person. And that's what should compel you and me to do what we do in fellowship with one another. It's how Jesus will want it to be. How are we going to be in heaven if we can't even get along here on earth? There are going to be all kinds of people in heaven that you're like, I didn't think you were going to be here. Exactly. There you go. Right. So so we need to get this mindset of being linked up with one another, being united in Christ. You see, those who dwell in the earth in in those days, speaking of these latter days towards the end, they will have no excuse for the decision they made to stay influenced by Babylon. They will need to decide for themselves, will they choose Jesus Christ or will they remain under the power of Satan? If they choose the latter, they will be forced to share in the plagues that will come upon the Babylonian world system. The Bible says that her sins stretch so high that they reach up to heaven. It's interesting, right? Because way back in the day, in the beginning, you know, around that time, before the flood, <laughs> we had one language and, and humans didn't want to honor God, didn't want to serve him. They wanted to be their own God. And so they tried to create a tower that would reach to heaven. They wanted to reach the outer realm with brick and mortar. They tried to build a tower to reach heaven, and yet they failed. But here we see with their sins, they don't need tools. They don't need brick and mortar, but yet their sins reach heaven. The ungodliness, the ungratefulness, the pridefulness of human beings reaches heaven. You see, this is what we don't want. This is what God doesn't want. But because the God of our peace, Jehovah Shalom, is righteous, just, faithful, and the true God, He again extends mercy and grace to humans. You would think He'd say, no, annihilate these people. But He's like, my heart breaks for you. I love you. I love you so dearly. I gave my only son to reconcile, be a bridge between me and you so we can be brought back into right standing because He knows the real enemy is Satan. He knows it's not the people, but the people are foolish and the people have been led astray and they need the Savior to show them the light. See, church, you have a great responsibility knowing the truth of Jesus Christ. Do you see how crucial your life on this planet is? I don't care how much gray hair you have. I don't care how you hobble around. I don't care if you're in a wheelchair. I don't care if you're bedridden. You have an important role to play in the church, the true remnant church. And you need to take that seriously because God's heart is breaking over the fact that people are just blindly walking on to hell. And we could do something about it through the power of the Holy Spirit. You could be used to influence somebody. Obviously, we know it's the Lord who gives the increase, but whether you plant or whether you water, we should be doing one or the other. Amen. God's desire is that none perish, but all come to repentance and salvation found in Jesus Christ alone. The third main point is this. The great I am is judge of all. Once again, we see that true and authentic fear of God. This is vital to walking in integrity in this world. Having the fear of God. 
Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight or understanding. This is vital to understand that the one and true God is judge of all. You see, we are all accountable for every single thing we do. And that's not to walk around on your tippy toes, scared to do anything, because that's how some Christians act. And that's not real. But when we have a real reverent fear of God, and we filter our decisions through that fear of the Lord, you're going to be led to make right choices. Right choices because you don't want to displease God. You understand what he went through, what Jesus Christ went through to redeem you. So why would you want to abuse it? Why would you want to? Why would I want to trample upon the blood of Jesus Christ as if it was commonplace? When you have that reverent fear, you never will do that. You won't. You won't let yourself go that route. You might be what other people call the oddball because you're like, well, you know what? I'm not going there. (laughs) I'm not watching that. I'm not hanging out with that crowd of people. But that's you walking with discernment. That's you walking with integrity. That's, That's you living above reproach. And you see, the thing is, we don't have enough Christians nowadays that are walking in discernment. People are just, it's just a license to grace. They just use grace as a license to do whatever they want. That's not, we're not, we weren't saved to do that. We were saved to live a holy and righteous life that's set apart. Your, your moral character shouldn't look like someone who's in a strip club all the time, who's, who's playing whatever, all these games and betting and cheating on their taxes and, and, and living a lascivious life and swearing and cursing every other word and addicted to, to every single drug or alcohol. You see, the thing is, and this is one great truth that that i took from the the conversation i had with pastor tim a lot of a lot of a lot of christians we know the word intellectually but until that fire gets put in us supernaturally and our desires change and our desires become the desires of god we're going to be in that sin repent cycle forever you see because people i've been there done that Oh, and Paul talked about it. <laughs> I, I, I do what I don't want to do. <laughs> and, 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 and then, and then I, I don't do what I'm supposed to. Wretched man that I am. I love the law of God. So he wasn't talking to unbelievers. He was talking to believers. But see, the thing is, the desire has to change. Because that's why you could tell a crack addict. Well, maybe not a crack addict because they're so gone in the mind. They're just going to go to the drug. But you could tell someone who's a chronic cigarette smoker, stop smoking. You're going to get stage four cancer. Intellectually, they know it. But their desire, that base level desire is, i got to have that cigarette. That cigarette, that desire for that cigarette is so much stronger than my will to change. Or the alcoholic. Man, if you keep drinking, bro, you're going to get cirrhosis of the liver. You're going to have kidney failure. You're going to die because you're drinking way too much. You're abusing that alcohol. And intellectually, they understand. Man, I know. I know, man, I've seen the DUIs. I have my license taken away. I've been to jail. I've had to do this and that. But, man, the desire for that drink. You see, so we have to pray that the Lord would give us the desires of his heart mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to have victory over these things. Intellectually understanding the word is not enough. It has to be a supernatural act of God that literally converts you and changes you and brings you from death to life. And nobody can tell you you have it except you. I can't tell you that. You know in your heart if you've been changed or not. If you haven't, you can pray for it. You can pray for it. He's a good God. He'll do it. 
And we intercede for those who don't have it yet. But this is real. All right. Woo. All right. It's getting, it's getting intense. <laughs> man, I had a whole little thing I wanted to go through. I, man, oh, we'll see. Um, well, this whole thing about Babylon that was described, described in chapter 17, um, many good scholars, they kind of see these issues differently. And it's not really it's not an issue of if is it real or not. It's just an issue of perspective. Some point to two manifestations of Babylon, uh, one religion and, and, and one commercial or material. The other see two as one, both being judged at the same times. Uh, there are definite similarities between the Babylon that we see written in chapter uh, 17 and 18. It's just kind of like a view or a different lens. That's what I would say. Both are under the rule of Antichrist and have ruling queens. Both are filled with blasphemy. They hate the saints of God and they shed their blood. Both are associated with the kings of fornication and both are under the judgment and will be destroyed. Excuse me, but there are some significant differences in how Babylon is described in 17. And I'll say this, uh, it symbolizes a harlot woman in chapter 17. It's identified with Rome, that's inland. Uh, Again, a woman, a whore, a mother, guilty of religious abominations. This is all Revelation 17 and destroyed by a political power that previously supported her. That's how Babylon is described in 17. In 18, we'll come to see that it's symbolized as a great city. It's identified with the port city, so it's coastal. Daniel talked about that last week, kind of like San Francisco, the Bay Area. Um, The habitation of a great city, great marketplace. Uh, It's also guilty of greed and self-indulgence and will be destroyed suddenly by the act of God. That's how Babylon is explained in chapter 18. I believe that it's best to see these two perspectives of Babylon to be intertwined yet somewhat distinct in how the, the writer uh, John wanted, was, was called to write these two chapters. Religious Babylon in Revelation chapter 17 is judged at the midpoint of the seven-year period of the tribulation. Commercial Babylon in 18 is judged at the end of that period. But you see, we have to understand Scripture and how the Bible is written because breaks in prophecy shouldn't surprise us. Think of what the Old Testament says about the first coming of the Messiah, right? It's all throughout Scripture. It was a little bit different as far as the timeline. Uh, In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Micah said that the Messiah would come out of Bethlehem. In Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, Hosea said that the Messiah would come out of Egypt. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, Malachi said that the Messiah would come to the temple. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Zechariah said the Messiah would come to Zion. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, Isaiah said that the Messiah, excuse me, would come to Galilee. So which of these are true? They're all true. They're all true. They're all true. So, so it isn't strange to say at all that Babylon is falling as to mean in two senses, religious Babylon and commercial Babylon at two different times, the middle of the Great Tribulation and the end of the Great Tribulation period. I just wanted to explain that because, you see, these are the kind of things that people that want to poke holes in the Bible will point out and say, you see, it's not, you see, it's not relevant. It's not, you see, it doesn't run in accordance. No, we have to understand contextually what the writers are trying to say. No, it's super in line. It's just, again, I like the analogy of a football game. You got the end zone view, camera view. You got the sideline view. You got the, I don't know what that thing is overhead going by the huddle, but you got that view. You got the, you know, you got the, um, the, the broadcaster's view up top where Madden used to sit after he retired. So, I mean, 
you got all these different views, and that's what the Bible is showing us here. So, again, we ask the question, is Babylon of Revelation chapter 18 a little literal or symbolic city? Some have thought it to be a future rebuilt Babylon on the Euphrates River in the Middle East. Um, this is now what we call modern-day Iraq. We all know Saddam Hussein. When he was alive, he was outspoken about the resurrection of that city in all of its glory. Well, he obviously failed to make a conceivable rebuild of Babylon, but it's not inconceivable that this could happen based on the fact of the Middle East's uh, wealth in oil, that this could be a possibility. Uh, but so far, Saddam Hussein and other world leaders have not made that dream come true of rebuilding Babylon. But like most commercial, Babylon uh, is symbolic. It is like a religious Babylon, a religious system. Remember when Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, uh, he said that here on earth he spoke of great hatred that the world had for him and his own. When you think about it truly, what is this world but a combination of religion, governmental, and commerce? That, that's, that's the world system. That's what goes around. You look at the Roman Catholic Church, they're embodied in all of that. <laughs> you know, religion, uh, government, the fact that the Pope is regarded as a king, and commerce. I mean, the fact that they got so much wealth, but that's, that's just them. But the world system at large, that's what's going on. You see, in portraying the destruction of a symbolic city, the Apostle John describes God's judgment of the great satanic system of evil that has corrupted the earth's history. And that's what we're reading about. It's the, it's, the, it's the demise of that demonic system that becomes a one-world system of government, religion, and commerce. I mean, even um, they're talking about even later this year. I mean, we're already in a, a drought as far as the food supply is not good, and it's only going to get worse, you know, where it, the food is going to become scarcer and scarcer. They said there are people are just dropping dead in Africa of, of starvation, and it's going to spread. And these are things that are happening right now, present day, whatever date this is, uh, August 14, 2022. So, hey, all right. Verses 1 through 3, let's get to it. And it says, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Wow, if that's not a statement, I don't know what is. That's like, you are guilty, these are your charges. <laughs> Man, that's heavy, but, but you see... This system, influenced by Satan, this is what they do. This is how we live when we are influenced by Satan. It's no regard for anyone but ourselves. But let's, let's start off at the first part, because this is super cool. This is kind of partly why the slide looks like the way it did when you know, me and Veronica were talking about the verses this week. It said, the earth was made bright with his glory. This angel comes down from heaven so fresh from God's presence that he glows. And in this darkened, sickened, disgusting world that's become a dwelling place of demons, I mean, his presence just shines. It just casts a just light so bright 
upon this earth. It's like a, it's like a, you know, it's in the dead of night and I don't know, you stub your toe, you got to go to the bathroom and you flick on the hallway light and all of a sudden it, everything's lit up, you know, for that moment while you have that light on. That's, that's what we see here. That's what's going on. So recent has he come from the presence of God that in his passing, he fills a broad belt of light across this dark earth. It reminds me of like when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to speak to God, right? When he came down, he had the Shekinah glory of God, you know, somewhat upon him because his face glowed. And it was like he had, they couldn't even look at him. He's not God. For definitely they're not going to look in the face of God. But even Moses being in God's presence had that Shekinah glory upon him for a moment as he went down with the tablets. And this is what we see here. In the term of another, because it says another, right? makes it clear that this angel is the same kind as the angel in Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. An angel from heaven, a heavenly host. This was an angel that serves God, Lord Almighty. All right, and he has this statement. He has this thing he wants to say. He says, Babylon the Great is fallen. Is fallen. He announces that Babylon is fallen, and the phrase is repeated, expressing its finality. Like it is done, done. <laughs> Like, it's super done. It's so done. It's fallen, fallen. Like, this is over. That's the whole point of that. And he goes on to say, this world has become a dwelling place of demons. The sad fate of a once great world. This is a prophetic picture of absolute desolation, where the proud achievements of men become the demonic dwelling of unclean and horrible creatures. All of the accomplishments... We've built this. We've, we've done this with Semstel Research. We've been able to go to the moon and do this and that. We got cars where you can just sit there and be asleep and just drive in Teslas. <laughs> all that is going to just become a dwelling place for demons. That's what, it, that's what all that stuff amounts to. It's a heap of rubble. It's a heap of dung in the end. All of humanity's crowning achievements will ultimately come to nothing. That should put the fear of God in you to put your hope and trust in him. I don't rest in my accomplishments. I don't care about my accomplishments. I don't really have anything to accomplish. <laughs> I trust in the Lord with all my heart. And here we see clearly that man's great accomplishments will come to nothing. All, you can win all the Super Bowls you want. All those Super Bowl trophies are just going to rust, man. <laughs> they all going to rust. Good times, but they're all going to rust. The abundance of her luxury... Babylon's sin was not only idolatry, referring with the term of fornication, but also pride, greed, and selfishly held wealth. The fact that just greedy, greedy, I want more profit and I will kill you <laughs> to get more and I will, I, I will kill you if you try to get in on this. That's corporate America. That's corporate America. We got this little niche market of people that are, are funneling in all the wealth. And they say, I don't want none of you people to get it. <laughs> I don't want any of you people to come in. And any independent person that tries to come in, I'm sure they get dealt with in some way. Because it's, just, it's a handful of people that are running the show. And they just are they're so led by selfishness and greed and worldly wealth that they won't let go. But again, they're influenced by demonic spirits. They're influenced by Satan. And that's why they do what they do. You see, Babylon corrupted the nations, their rulers and their merchants. The nations, their heads of state and their businessmen, they all become immoral. 
Because of their covetousness and their corrupt business practices, they become materially rich and pursued a luxurious lifestyle. But they were morally and spiritually bankrupt. And we've seen this play out time and time again. What will a, what will a man, what will a woman give in exchange for her soul or his soul? None of these things that the world offers are worth you and who you are intrinsically. You cannot give who you really are over for the pleasures of the world because this world is fleeting, it's passing away. There's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with having material things and being wealthy and being rich. But it's we should control the material things, not the material things controlling us. And so far, a lot of people don't do good in that area. That's why the Lord can't trust many people with riches because they abuse them and they become, they sell themselves out for these things. They care only about themselves. Greed was their creed and gold was their God. Here is another passage of scripture where sexual immorality is used both as a reference to literal, a literal bodily sin and a metaphor of spiritual infidelity. And we know, uh, obviously, sexual sin is just horrible because, you know, every, every, every other sin is outside of ourselves, right? But when we commit sexual sins, we're actually, it's just, it's just, it, it's hard for me to even say because it it's so gross. But it actually, we, we destroy ourselves when we do those kind of things. But this is Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 16, speaking of um, a spiritual infidelity. And it says, you took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines and on them played the whore. The like have never been or never shall be. An example of this is when Jesus told the story about the rich man who lived on a selfish and lavish lifestyle. You can find that in Luke chapter 16. The rich man, he wore the most expensive clothing and feasted daily uh, on the most expensive foods. But yet his eyes never focused on anything else but what might satisfy his fleshly cravings. He saw Lazarus at his gate, poor hungry beggar outside of his house, but he did nothing for him. Nothing ever. But one day arrived when this man's soul was, uh, you know, it was declared that he go, <laughs> that he, he was going to be gone. And he went down to Hades. And what did he do? He said, I just need a little bit of relief. I need a little bit of relief. But it was too late. He had made his choice and he had chosen his fate. The application is this. The lifestyle of the wickedly rich and powerful will be abruptly ended when Babylon falls. You see, some people think that what they can create here is going to sustain them forever. But one day our soul will be called of us. We will have to give an account and our time will be up. And none of the things that we've brought along or made or accomplished will have any use. They will not hide us from the truth of who God is and the revelation of his judgment upon us. All right, verses four and five. It says, then I heard, this is, uh, uh, John speaking again, then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. <clears throat> so we see this statement, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. At, at this point... I, it's inconceivable to me that a child of God could partake in a religious Babylon. Though I guess some elements may creep in. 
You know, but we have to, you know, these, these are things that we can apply this to ourselves today. And I, I'm, I'm super solid in my faith, but yet, why do I struggle in these areas? We, we, we cannot allow ourselves to be enticed or, 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 or held captive by the gaze of things that are not right, that are, that are immoral, that are against God's truth. You see, but Babylon, with its materialistic lore, is a consistent threat to be guarded against. The vanity fairs of life and all of these things that are so decadent, right? They play on, our, on, 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 on what we see. But we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. I think that's, that's a big struggle for Christians here in America because we are bombarded with images and think this is what you should look like. This is what you should wear. This is where you should live. This is what you should be doing. And we're like salmon swimming upstream and everything is bombarding us every day nonstop. Just waiting to find that little chink in the armor or that enticement to get you and me. But we got to stay guarded up. That's why we have to have the mind of Christ. That's why you have to, I have to be so well versed in scripture that for every arrow the enemy throws, you have a verse that you can spit back at him and flee. Three times he's out. That's what happened with Jesus in the wilderness. He can't take him more than three times. He's out. He got to go. He got to flee. That's why you got to know scripture. You knock him down. No, get out of here. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord my God. The Lord my God. All these things. We just have to know the word. But, but this is what we are up against. And this is what the people in these end times they are going to just succumb to it. They, they just crumble. They melt. <laughs> they melt like a popsicle in the hot summer sun. They just, it's just over. That's it. Like a, like a stick of butter. It's just melt. But even in all this, it's all good. I get it. I get it. It's all good, baby. Even in all this, we still can see the Lord's steadfast love and mercy towards humanity. It's, this is literally the last call before complete and total destruction of the world system. But he says, come out from her. Come out from this wicked system. Don't be a part in her. Don't partake in her lest you share in her plagues. The Lord is pleading once again, please turn back to me before it is too late. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. And this is the whole reason people say, well, how come he hasn't come back? People that want to mock Jesus. Well, he hasn't come back because, dude, you ain't saved. <laughs> He's trying to get a hold of you before it's too late, lest you perish, man. Or as the Bible says, fool. And I can say that with all confidence. <laughs> fool. I even tell, hey, where's Veronica at? <laughs> no, not, no, but I'm saying like, I'll use the word fool. I'll be like, stupid. Hey, it's in the Bible. It's biblical. It's okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, lest you receive her plagues. That's the next part we're on. It says, the warning, this warning, it's, it, it's focused towards saints who are in the position of Lot. Well, you know, in Genesis chapter 19, Lot living in Sodom. He was not walking by faith. He was walking by sight. Abram said, well, which one do you want? He's like, dude, I'm going there. I see all that green light. I'm going there. Bro, do you know what they're doing over there? That's not the place to be. He didn't care. He didn't care. But this is what we're speaking of here. When where there's Christians caught up in this world system and it's like, you shouldn't have no place in there. 
You see, these are God's people in a place they shouldn't be, a place ripe for destruction. And so God's like, man, I love you, man. Come out of her before I, I'm about to annihilate this whole place. I'm about to tear it to the ground. Get out, you know. And that, and that, and that should be our heart today for those, our loved ones that, man, if you're not walking with the Lord, man, I'm pleading with you. <laughs> you gotta, you got to turn to Jesus before it's too late. you got to. The call to depart from Babylon and the worldliness that it represents is a theme that is repeated frequently in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 11 says, Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, purifying yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Man, so the Lord's super clear. He's like, <laughs> you're, you're my vessel. My Holy Spirit resides in you. Have no part. Do not walk hand in hand in stride with the world, but be separate from the world. Jeremiah chapter 50 verse 8 says, Flee from the midst of Babylon and go out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as male goats before the flock. Another verse, Jeremiah 51 verse 45, Go out from the midst of her, my people. Let everyone save his life from the fierce anger of the Lord. See, it's not even safe from the devil. He's like, I'm going to save you from myself. <laughs> I'm going to save you from my wrath. Get out from her before I annihilate you along with all these wicked people. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? It shouldn't be so. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. When it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to moral principles, we have to be like, no, I'm not going there. Again, what do we allow ourselves to come into agreement with? It has to be led by the Holy Spirit. If we allow ourselves to come in agreement with our flesh, with our own thinking, and we're up the creek, it's a bad look. Satan loves when we say, well, my opinion is, well, my mama said, well, my daddy said, well, I think, well, my best friend. Satan trembles when you say, get behind me, Satan. He who lives in me is greater than he who lives in the world. When you start quoting scripture, that's when it's effective. As long as we're running our mouths about whatever, whether it's an argumentation with spouses, children with parents, friends and friends, man, Satan's having a field day. But once you bring God into the mix, once you bring specifically Jesus Christ, his son, into the mix, that's a whole new ballgame. It's a whole new ballgame. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. What are you and I exposing today? Starting with our own hearts. Are we exposing the things that are trying to trip us up? Or are we hiding like Adam and Eve behind a fig leaf trying to act like God ain't going to see? You see, for her sins have reached to heaven. The sin of commercial Babylon has piled up like a tower, just like the Tower of Babel. We talked about that earlier in the message. God has remembered her iniquities. For all who will refuse to repent of their sins and refuse to see God Almighty as He is, there is no pardon for their sins. This is their destiny. So they choose it. But for those who submit their lives to Him and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, they will have this hope. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12 says, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Isn't that beautiful? 
He doesn't remember your sins. I just heard a message this morning, and, and I love how the pastor was like, you know, God's not saving your sins on a, on a, on a terabyte hard drive and saying, I'm going to bring it back up. He's like, no, I, I choose not to even remember it. I don't even see it anymore. That's what you and I have. We have that, that hope that we are forgiven and, and we rest on the truth of what Jesus Christ did upon that cross, going to the grave and resurrecting and now seated at the right hand of God in all glory. Last two verses, I'll be quick. Uh, six, and, six and eight, six down to eight. It says, pay her back as she herself has paid back others to repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. And she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow. And mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Pay her back just as she had paid back others. The ancient Greek word for render means literally to pay a debt or to give back that which is due. God will give Babylon back exactly what she deserves, repaying her double according to her works, mixed for her double. Double restitution was required in the Old Testament in cases of theft. Uh, Exodus chapter 22 verses 4 down through 9 it kind of speaks to this and just for content's sake I'll read it it says if the stolen beast is found alive in his possession whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep he shall pay double if a man causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field he shall make restitution for the beast in his own field and in his own vineyard if a fire breaks out and catches on thorns so that the stacked grain or standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. I don't have to go down to nine. You get the picture. <laughs> restitution is going to have to be paid for. This may speak of how Babylon made her wealth through dishonest dealings, and now she's going to have to pay. This passage present, presents, excuse me, a threefold of uh, sin, if you will. First, self-indulgence, lived in luxury, without honor to God. Now, I'm not saying you can't live in luxury, honor God. God should be the desire of your heart. You can roll a Lexus. You can roll a Lexus on 26-inch rims. You better be, be giving God your heart, and probably those rims will come right off. But if you got big money, it'll probably be okay. But if you're living like us, you probably won't be rolling like that. Anyways, the second is pride, glorifying herself, sitting as queen. You see, when we esteem ourselves other than esteeming God, we become prideful. Keep yourself humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time, he will raise you up. Amen? Third, Avoidance of suffering. I am no widow and I will see no sorrow. That's the same thing as pride. Oh, I'm not going to suffer. I have all this. All these things are characteristics of worldliness and materialism. And this is what he's saying. Because they refuse to repent, therefore her plagues will come in one day. The destruction of commercial Babylon will come suddenly and with completeness. Utterly burnt with fire. The application is this as Michelle and Isaiah come up. In the end, serving Satan, you will always lose. You will always lose. You see, many 
will be deceived into serving him. They worship comfort, worldly security, and pleasures of every kind. They say, I'm not worshiping Satan. I just, I just want a nice plush life. But the absence of Jesus Christ is worshiping Satan. You see, God has created the terms to be made right with him. 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 down through 17 tells us, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, you and I can't change the terms. The terms have already been set. But you and I can humble ourselves and trust his ways. May we be those who trust in the Lord now so that we may walk in the newness of life here on earth and in the life to come. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for your word. It is the roadmap to our soul. Father, please help us to take heed to what you have spoken through your word this morning and may you give us the ability and the wisdom to apply it to our lives. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.